Ophthalmology Off the Grid is supported by Elevro from Alcon. Open, outspoken. It's Ophthalmology Off the Grid, an honest look at controversial topics in the field. I'm Gary Woods. Finding your dream job. We all hope to reach that goal, but how do we get there? Which path should we take? Today, I'll talk with Dr. Dave Goldman to see how turning down an initial offer led him down a new path that included working in academia and eventually starting his own practice. We'll explore what your priorities should be when looking for a new job, how to negotiate contracts, and the ins and outs of running your own practice. This is Dr. Gary Wirtz with Ophthalmology Off the Grid, and today I have with me Dr. Dave Goldman. So Dave, just want to say thank you for taking a little time out of your evening and talking to us about the dream job or finding your dream job. And so um, we met, I guess, probably maybe five years ago, something like that, at a speaker training session down in in, uh, Fort Worth. And um, Dave is probably one of the funniest guys in ophthalmology, so um, I've always enjoyed our our times and uh, good times just uh, hanging out and also um, sharing uh, different practice pearls. So uh, Dave, with that being said, um, tell me a little bit about your experience, um, maybe after residency uh, and and, uh, going into practice. Um, Tell us a little bit about your background in in terms of where you found yourself after residency. Uh, Sure. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I guess everyone has their own story. And, and for me, even though I ended up at, at Bascom Palmer on faculty for for six years or so, that wasn't really my my intention in the beginning. You know, um, actually, right before I, I graduated, I was a, contracted to uh, to join a private practice, and uh, as can often happen in the uh, in the eleventh hour, all the uh, contract negotiations just kind of fell through. I was in negotiations with a group, and uh, and one of the the critical ports, uh, points of the contract was I just got engaged. Uh, now my wife Amy um, was going to be giving up her job in Michigan and moving down, and the non-compete was concerning because it was a whole county. Um, and I understood that, you know. And I told them, look, if I join you guys and you know I am doing drugs or I get arrested or whatever it may happen, I'm not performing well. You have every right to get rid of me, and I should be out of the county. But if I'm fired without cause. That is to say, you know, you just didn't have the volume you thought you were going to have to support me, which was my concern at the time. Um, you can't force me to leave the county because I'm moving here with this, you know, soon-to-be new wife who's giving up everything to move, and it's not really fair. And initially, they agreed to it, and then they took it back and decided not to do it, and that was a real, you know, deal breaker for me. Um, and so I called the whole thing off, and then they called me back and offered me that and everything else, and even more things that I'd originally asked for that they said no. And, um, and that just kind of bothered me that all of a sudden they were willing to be offering me all these different things, um, just throwing it at me, uh, when before, you know, I was just kind of at begging for even half of it. So, so at the end of the day, I said, no, it's not going to work. And here I am, I'm a week away from graduation. I go out for my graduation, I get my diploma. They tell everyone I'm going off to this other practice, which I had already known wasn't going to happen. Um, and there were a few offers on the table, but what felt the safest to me at the time uh, was to go into academics and stay at Bascom Palmer. I was familiar with the situation there, and and frankly, it, it was a great opportunity for me um, based on the fact that I practiced there already and the high volume that I was going to take over for some of the other physicians that were leaving. Um, and I actually really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, it was sort of a dream job. I really liked it a lot, 
And then a few years later, you know, things started to change a little bit and I decided it, it wasn't as good as it used to be. And so it was time for me to look at other options. Well, and I think that's, that's really interesting. And, you know, if, if there are residents out there who are looking for jobs, you know, who are listening to this, it is a daunting process. Um, it is really difficult um, to find a job and even to know what the right questions are to ask to find a good contract attorney that's going to help you re- review your contract and and really how do you negotiate with someone who is um, really has all the chips on their side of the of, of the equation or their side of the table and so you know um, I guess negotiating from a position of weakness is is never a great thing and the only leverage you really have when you're when you're young is that you have other opportunities and so um, it is really really tough I and mean, when I was a resident. Um, I was really kind of thinking about all sorts of things. You know, I had an opportunity to move down to Tampa and um, be a surgeon in a high volume practice. And I also had an opportunity to start my own practice. And um, a couple other things were out there. And, you know, I ended up, you know, starting my own practice from scratch um, in a small community in rural Kentucky. And, um, you know, that was a very interesting time for me. And, and like you said, it, it, it's, um, I guess for me, it was, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. You know, in, in many ways, I learned so much about what it takes to run a practice. Um, but I also learned about the things that I'm good at and maybe the things I'm not so good at because there are just so many challenges when you open a practice from scratch. And as I understand and, and know from, from knowing you personally and knowing your story, you decided to go from academics into a private practice situation where you were running your own show. You know, that is not for the faint of heart, but man, you've really seemed to make the transition look easy. So um, from my side of the equation, I know how much hard work goes into that. I know it doesn't happen by accident. And walk me through that process of how you said, hey, you know, I want to do something a little different. I want to be my own boss. I want to kind of set the tone and set the culture. How did you go about that? How did you make that leap from academics to not just joining a practice, but starting a practice. That's like, sure. well, you know, yeah. you know, in fairness, um, starting my own practice was actually the last thing I ever wanted to do. Um, you know, I, I, I it was uh, a long time to make short, but I'd interviewed with just about everybody in the area um, where I was practicing at Bascom Palmer before uh, realizing that none of those situations were really going to be ideal for me. And I was basically forced into starting my own practice um, because, as you mentioned, you know, practices don't necessarily value what what ophthalmologists that are coming out are bringing to the table. Now, I wasn't coming right out of training. You know, I was known in the area, and I had several years under my belt where I'd been, you know, doing quite a bit. Uh, but nevertheless, and this goes out to all the residents too. Don't think just because you're you're finishing that you you don't have an inherent value. You certainly do. And when you're looking for jobs, don't get too caught up with 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 the money. Um, you know, when I counsel a lot of fellows who are graduating in residence, you know, they seem to get obsessed about the money in the contract. Um, and, but it really depends on what you're looking for. You know, do you want to work a couple of days a week? Do you want to work full time? Do you want to become a partner? Um, and when you do get that attorney to look over your, your contract, remember that really you only want to change about three things. You want to have one or two things that are your hard sticking points that you have to have changed and then maybe one or maybe two other things that you'd like to get changed. And that's it because a lawyer will go through a contract and change an and to a 
uh, and then or if to if then and they'll make a million little marks up of the contract then the old practice has to go and send that to an attorney it runs up a lot of costs and at the end of the day really all you're trying to do is have an agreement that you're going to work together and things are going to grow and if you spend too much time going back and forth on the contract it can really kind of sour the relations um, so you really want to focus on what's important to you that being said you know if it's partnership no one's going to offer you partnership in the contract you just have to take it on faith that if things go well it's going to work out but again for that 20 happy you know it may not be financial for you you may want to be in a certain location or in a certain type of practice um, you know there's, there's a lot of dis different decisions that go into it and and be sure to ask around uh, and get the reputation of the practice you know if this is a practice that's churned through a million doctors uh, in the past you're probably going to be another one of the doctors that gets churned through and that's not necessarily a bad thing you know if you decide you want to stay in academics a few years work for uh, you know practice for a few years and then start your own thing that's okay uh, and at the end of the day that was the best situation for me um, but um, but yeah I mean getting back to your point Gary you know starting your own practice is definitely not easy and I had no clue what I was doing uh, to begin you know I remember when I when I got into my space uh, the new office, the uh, the realtor said, okay, now this is where you can put your occupancy license. And I said, my what? <laughs> and she kind of looked at me and said, your, your occupancy license, you know, you can't see patients without an occupancy license. And this is, you know, a week before uh, I'm supposed to start seeing patients. So I had to run to the town hall and have the fire marshal come through and do, you know, a check on the, on the unit and everything. And all these little things that uh, no one really tells you. Unfortunately, there's no book or really great guy that's up to date on how to do it all. Um, but again, the big advice I would say is um, is go to the internet, go to the cloud for, for help. So, you know, I use Modernizing Medicine EMR, I use Care Cloud Practice Management, uh, everything's connected through electronic fund transfer, I use MyTimeStation.com for uh, my, uh, you know, team clocking in and out. Um, I use Intuit uh, QuickBooks for uh, for payroll. I do QuickBooks for all my accounting. So everything's managed in the computer, and it's all automated. And that definitely makes a lot of things easier in the long term if you set things up uh, like that. Yeah, well, it's the old rotisserie chicken. You know, set it and forget it. You know, as many things as you can do that you can kind of have a one-time solution and uh, minimal maintenance, um, you know, I'm all about that. And when I was in private practice for myself, I did a lot of the same things. Yeah, I really tried to outsource as many things because, um, you know, you realize that overhead just kills you. You know, there's every dollar you can save in overhead is a dollar that you can put in your pocket. And so, you know, having full-time employees, um, if they're not working all the time, really, really can run up your overhead. So um, I used a billing company. Um, I used a credentialing company because staying on all the plans and staying current is is a huge thing. You, you know nothing about that when you're a resident and what it's like to make sure you're on all the panels. Um, you know, there, there are great consultants out there like John Pinto. Um, he helped me a ton and I'm really thankful to have people like that. Um, around, but you're exactly right. There's really no manual for uh, doing this, and especially in this day and age with all the EMR you know, issues, um, with meaningful use, with PQRS, quality measures, and all the things that are changing, you're always chasing something. You're always looking uh, to hit a moving target. And, and I think that's one thing that, you know, just like the occupancy license, you didn't even know sometimes what you don't know. And that's really what can be so daunting about um, starting your own practice, I, I, you know, I think. And so 
in my situation, I actually migrated from um, starting my own practice, um, which was, you know, like I said, an adventure, um, actually to um, being a partner or soon to be partner in a, in a large practice in my area and um, actually winding down um, the practice that I started. And that's been a, that's been a real great thing. Um, but it's interesting, you know, just keying in on a couple things that you said. Um, it sounds like one thing that you have um, really at the top of your priority list, and I, I compliment you on this because not everyone does, is really finding the right culture. And it sounds like the first practice you interviewed at, um, maybe they showed their hand or showed their true colors, but you got a sense that maybe this just isn't the right culture. And you knew where you were uh, in academia, maybe at the time just wasn't the right culture for what you wanted to do. And despite interviewing, I'm sure with a lot of successful other practices, you realize that in order to have the practice that was yours, you were going to have to really be the one to run it. And then you can really drive the culture and drive the practice how you want. Would you say that that may be the biggest benefit to um, you know all the hard work and all the blood, sweat, and tears that go into starting your own practice? Uh, at the end of the day, you get to be the one to drive the culture of, of how care is being performed. No, absolutely. You know, I, I have to credit uh, one of my good friends, Ajit Nemi, who's an ophthalmologist in Alpharetta, Georgia, who, um, who, who had started his own practice and raved about how, how wonderful it was and, uh, and really put the bug in my ear. Um, because exactly as you put it, you know, it's yours. It, it's kind of it's your baby and you watch it grow from, from nothing into this, you know, vibrant practice. And, uh, and although it, it's tough at first, once you get it going, it, it, it's really not that bad. And it's just so rewarding because, as you said, you can make it however you want. You know, coming out of academics, I was used to, you know, all the latest and greatest toys and technology. And to go to a practice that had older equipment that wasn't interested in upgrading or wasn't interested in, in, in taking on EMR, um, you know, little things like that were, were frustrating. And, and, you know, I, I'd see these practices where they'd see... 80 patients a day and I didn't I didn't want to burn out either um, and I knew I didn't want you know these capitated plans and there were a lot of different things you can you can manipulate if it's your own practice and you're willing to put the time in but I remember another tidbit I got from Dave Roman uh, another great ophthalmologist had told me that um, you know uh, have the practice that you want to have so for example if you really um, don't want to do like lid um, tumors or what have you, then don't ever see lid tumors. Always send them out. Don't ever, you know, you want to see the patients for the practice you want to build. So if you want to build a cornea practice, do cornea stuff. If you don't want to do uh, retina long term, then don't start doing retina. You know, really focus on what it is that you enjoy. So for me, that was mostly surgical, anterior segment, cornea, cataract, um, and everything uh, else I pretty much referred out. And, uh, and in that way now, my practice is very big, but it's big with the stuff that I enjoy uh, treating, and that also makes it a lot more enjoyable a day as well. And of course, when you start your own practice, you can hire your own people. So I've got you know a wonderful, wonderful staff, and, and that also makes the day just really fly by. Well, I think that's so true. You know, there's that whole eighty twenty principle, and um, I've follow, I've tried to follow those guidelines of you know figure out the things that are either you know, making the most profit or you're enjoying the most and really try to maximize your time um, doing those activities. And for me, that's really, you know, cataract surgery and LASIK and doing, uh, you know, the surgical side of, of ophthalmology, anterior segment ophthalmology. So I, I think it's interesting. I've, I've really mirrored what you've done and really set limits on, you know, the kind of patients that I want to take care of and want to see. 
You know, I realize that I cannot be the best at every single uh, surgical procedure, but I can be pretty good if I limit my practice to a few procedures where you're really getting a lot of volume, you're getting a lot of exposure, and you really start um, honing in and refining your technique on those things. And, and you feel really good when you, you know, take care of a patient um, with a complex situation. You realize you know, maybe five years ago or um, you, you may not have been able to take care of them so well. And uh, the benefit of really um, doing a lot of something has allowed you to, to grow in your breadth and your scope of, of taking care of, of complex issues like that. Um, one, one other issue um, that I think everybody has when whether they're either starting their own practice or they're the managing partner or participating actively in running a practice is finding good help. Um, that's always really an, sort of a re revolving issue, a recurring issue. So where do you go, Dave, when you need to find a new technician, um, an office manager, an administrator? Um, where do you find um, the best techs or people to help you in your office? What, where do you, if you had good success, um, we'd love to hear about it. Yeah, so for me, I mean, the very first person I hired, uh, Melissa, was one of the lead techs at Bascom Palmer. Uh, who was an all-star, who was frustrated with the system, um, as was I, and, and I got the feeling was interested uh, in, in coming on board with me when I left. And so, you know, maybe a month or two before um, I was out, you know, I just kind of sought out her interest level in it, and, and uh, sure enough, she wanted to come on board, and that's worked out wonderful. So in the beginning, it was literally the two of us, but only for a couple days, because obviously you need at least two people when you're starting out besides yourself. And uh, and so I actually just asked a friend. Um, I had a friend that uh, worked in uh, in the ophthalmology field that used to work as a technician. I said, hey, do you know anyone out there uh, that's looking for a job that does front desk stuff? And uh, she recommended a friend that had some experience. Uh, I brought her on board. She recommended another friend um, that I brought on board about six months later. And then she worked out great. I ended up hiring her sister. Um, and then basically word of mouth was pretty much how I've assembled my entire uh, team today. And, uh, and with everyone, the interviews lasted probably about one and a half minutes each um, because I really feel like that first impression and that, that interaction is all you need because um, you know, everything else can be taught and trained, but you really need good personalities. And, and the first thing I wonder is, you know, is this someone that's going to, you know, keep the sort of chi with the, with the rest of the, uh, the practice? Yeah, that's, uh, that is, that is super important. So, so for, for people out there who might be listening and they're either in, you know, coming out of residency or fellowship, or maybe they're in a job and they think, you know, I think I, I'm maybe not in my, my right practice. What, what would you say are the number one things that you would recommend they look for in a new job or maybe even writing a list of priorities? Where would you put priorities um, if, as, as people might be thinking or looking for a new job? Um, I'd love to just you know, hear your thoughts on, on where you start when you're thinking about making a change. Sure. You know, I mean, the reality is, you know, I, I don't remember the exact specific, but it's, it's way more than 50% of uh, doctors end up leaving their first practice. Um, and so there's nothing wrong with it if you feel like your practice is, is not working for you and you want to consider another uh, uh, venue. And, and I've gotten lots of emails uh, from people who've read my articles about starting your own practice who voiced their frustrations with their current practices. And it's not unreasonable because the reality is a lot of practices that have been around for a long time 
On the one hand, it's great because they have a nice infrastructure. People have been there a long time. They're well-known in the community. But on the flip side, it's an older practice, and it may not be up-to-date with the newer technologies. And, you know, again, not just things like EMR, but even their simple thing as a topographer or optical biometry. Um, and for someone coming out of training that's used to, like, the latest and greatest, so to speak, they don't want to go uh, to those uh, features. You know, that can be uh, uh, frustrating. And a misconception with group practice is that, you know, you'll all work together kind of simultaneously. It's almost as though you're all working uh, in tandem. But, uh, for example, if you have a patient and you want, you know, your glaucoma or retina guy to see them, they don't necessarily want to see them the same day because of the billing issues. Um, so it, it's not quite as... Uh, you know, convenient as one may think. But when you're looking at, at your practice and the things you don't like about it, and you're thinking about leaving for another practice, um, you know, remember the grass isn't always greener. Um, you know, if you don't like the practice because you don't like the location, that's easier. If you don't get along with some of your partners, you know, again, that's easy. But if there's something fundamental about the way the practice works, you have to really analyze, uh, you know, how you could go about making it better. Because the reality is, you know, especially for a large practice, there's a lot that goes into it. And you may run into those same situations in another large practice. Uh, the majority of people that I know that have left one practice um, and are happy in their, in their new environment are those that went out on their own, um, like you did, like I did, uh, because then you can really craft the practice, as we said before, in, in the way you want to do it. And you can really, you know, if there's a particular thing you want to excel at or equipment or culture you want to have, not just for your staff but for your patients, you, you can do it all. And, and even though you have 100% of the responsibility, that 100% control can also be a very nice thing when, when developing a, sort of a dream practice. Well, Dave, uh, thank you so much for all your insights, um, for your courage, honestly, to you know take that leap of faith and go out there and show that in this day and age it still can be done, and even done in a competitive environment. You know where you are down in South Florida. You know that's uh, that's no easy place, perhaps, to start a new practice. And so, um, you know, I would just encourage people who are thinking about you know switching to a new practice or uh, starting their own practice. You know, you you have this one life to live. You have, you know, two hands, you have work to do. And if you're not happy in a practice, I, I would just really encourage people to start doing that, that due diligence of figuring out you know, what it is that uh, is making you unhappy, figuring out if the situation is, is solvable at your current uh, practice. Because as Dave said, you know, the grass isn't always greener and it's always um, easier uh, to fix a, a solution, you know, to fix a problem at your current practice than, than full sale switching. But you know, like Dave said also, almost all of us at some point are going to switch practices from the one we started with. And it's nothing to feel ashamed about. It's nothing to feel like you've, you've failed. It's really just figuring out what is making you happy professionally and pursuing that um, and, and really with laser-like focus. So uh, with that being said, uh, Dave, thank you so much for uh, taking some time tonight and telling us your story and giving us some great pearls of wisdom. So thanks again. Oh, my pleasure. Dr. Goldman provided some great tips from a physician's perspective, but I thought it would also be beneficial to chat with Christina Bagiano-Lewis about her views on this topic. Christina specializes in matching doctors with practices, so she is able to provide us with some valuable advice on finding the right job. We discuss vetting a practice, looking for red flags, and the importance of a long-term view on compensation.
Welcome to Ophthalmology Off the Grid. This is Dr. Gary Wirtz, and today I have with me Christina Bogiano-Lewis, who is um, with the Ophthalmology Associates, and Christina has been uh, kind enough to uh, carve out a little time to talk to us about what she does in her world of essentially matchmaking, trying to take doctors and placing them in practices with needs, or trying to take practices that have openings and finding the right uh, physician or actually even other technical professionals um, to really uh, to stem the tide or fill those gaps. And so, Christine, I just want to say thank you so much for, uh, like I said, carving out time out of your busy schedule to give us a little bit of perspective on what makes a good match between a practice and a physician. And so uh, with that, just uh, want to say thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure, Dr. Ward, to be able to share any information I can for either side of either a practice that's looking or a physician candidate that is hoping to start or change position. So, yeah. Well, this is this is usually that time of the year when, you know, residents are, you know, third year residents or fellows are starting to look for uh, new opportunities or perhaps even trying to start vetting um, contracts. Um, it's also that time of the year when you're when in the north or northeast when it's snowing and you start thinking about maybe moving on to greener pastures. That's not my situation. Um, I'm at my perfect practice, but it's definitely taken me a little bit of time to get here. And I've been through some of those um, transition points and trying to find the right deal or the you know the right uh, practice to get started in. And the reality is most ophthalmologists don't end up at their first practice. And I just wanted to get a little bit of your perspective. You've been doing this for, gosh, what, almost 18 years now? Um, And so maybe you could give me some perspective to share with other folks out there. What's the right way to go about either finding a new associate if you're in that position or if you're on the doctor side of things? What's the best way to go after the right um, job for you? Wow. Well, those two things kind of mirror each other in a lot of ways. Um, in regard to practices, yeah, how, where do they start? So once a practice kind of decides it's financially viable to bring on a new physician, you know, they've got to be more careful, I think, now than ever to conduct, you know, proper recruiting and retention practices, not only to kind of build that, you know, productive and committed staff, but also to avoid, you know, big turnover expenses. As you mentioned, it took you a couple of tries to really end up at the right place. And, and, and that's very common. As you might know, about 50% of physicians end up leaving their first position within the first two to three years. So, you know, clearly defining, you know, that they're looking for a physician who's willing to perform the duties of the position is, is kind of the first step. But also kind of measuring a practice needs to measure, you know, what they're looking for versus what they have to offer. So, um, you know, does the practice have, you know, interesting patients, um, collegial colleagues, you you know, is there a positive culture? Um, Is there, are there any internal or external issues that kind of need to be worked on that might affect this new oncoming physician success? Um, are there any, you know, staffing difficulties, financial challenges, what's the competition in the region? So all these things kind of need to be taken into consideration before practices start scrutinizing potential candidates and looking at who their ideal candidate would be. I, I definitely, uh, I definitely agree with that. It's sort of like 
making sure the place that you're trying to recruit someone to is a place that someone would want to come and stay and trying to maybe um, any of any significant hurdles that are there to progress, whether that's, you know, getting a new piece of uh, equipment that's going to bring the practice more in line with the you know 21st century or already going through EMR uh, transitions before bringing on a new associate um, and, and really making sure you've got enough space and enough staff and enough cases, either the surgical or clinical cases, that's going to keep um, a new ophthalmologist from, you know, twiddling their thumbs or, or wishing that they had gone to a more busy you know, or productive uh, place. I think those are all really key things that um, a practice needs to sort of get their house in order before taking that next step of, of bringing in an associate. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And just on the flip side, as a physician would start to look at potential opportunities out there, they too must know themselves <laughs> right. and, and really understand um, and take into consideration what their priorities are, whether in the most common are, as you may know, location, compensation, and practice culture is increasingly important over the years, I've noticed. So really self-knowledge and understanding what your needs are and, you know, you have family bears are. And, um, you know, it's hard to predict future circumstances, of course, but really having that, you know, introspective moment before, you know, you, you conduct a search to kind of start, you know, understanding what the ideal opportunity is for you. Right. Well, you know, it's funny, um, Doug Katzev, who's just a fantastic surgeon out in Santa Barbara, California, he um, actually talked to me at a meeting when I was uh, still a third year resident. And I didn't realize how fortunate it was uh, to get to talk to him at that time. Um, but he gave me some great advice. I didn't follow the advice, but nevertheless, it was great advice that I'll pass on. And he said, you know, Gary, you should find the place you want to live and go there and build a practice. Either you join someone or you start from scratch, but you're not going to lose momentum from starting and stopping and, and starting back in again from scratch. So he, he said, you know, find the place you want to live and then just go and build a practice. Now that's easier said than done, especially if you're going to a real competitive market like you know desirable locations like Boca Raton or Palm Beach or maybe over on the other side of the, the southwest coast of Florida or if you're out in you know California near Santa Barbara, those are pretty competitive markets. But there's a lot of wisdom in what he said because you know if you're in the right spot, you know, there's a lot of things you can change about your practice, but you can't pick it up and actually physically move it. So I think location is is really key for people to, to be introspective about and think, you know, I need to live in a place that I'm comfortable, a place that my family is going to thrive, um, if that's a, a priority. And um, so there's a lot of wisdom in that. And uh, I thought I'd kind of pass that along. Uh, the other thing that I learned, um, you know, perhaps the hard way is it's much more um, important to look at the structure of the contract and what is promised um, based on production than what's guaranteed. Um, you know, I was really um, at the beginning of my career when I was a resident, I really wanted to look at, you know, what's the guaranteed contract salary because I really felt like that would be um, the most important thing. And what I realized was it's much more important to find a contract that's going to fairly treat you for um, your production. And the more you produce that you get to participate in the upside of that in terms of bonus and making sure that if there are other things like optical or surgery center or any other um, perks, real estate, et cetera, that those things are extended to you as an opportunity 
and that those things are more or less negotiated up front rather than a let's wait and see down the road. Um, what do you think about that in terms of you know looking at the guaranteed money versus looking at a contract that really treats you fairly as you're able to produce? There are two parts to that, and I, I appreciate you bringing that up because compensation isn't just what an initial offering is. It, it, it is potentially what you can make over the long term, especially if you feel that you found the practice that you're going to stick with and eventually retire with. So absolutely short-sighted to just solely consider that kind of initial offering and guaranteed salary. So yes, it's important to discuss with the practice up front kind of what the potential is for you based on, and you can either do it with some of the existing docs in the practice that might have the same specialty that you do or are kind of doing, you know, a similar caseload to what potentially you could. Um, and that'll give you a view of the potential, you know, compensation and kind of trajectory of your career within a practice. And if there isn't someone like that to compare to, you know, have that open discussion, see if the practice will be open about discussing not only the kind of formulas that they'll be using, but understanding what the practice is doing financially and kind of how and what um, these projections will be based on. So yes, absolutely, that's important on both sides, not only from the candidate's perspective to inquire about these kind of things and understand how the practice works, but also for the practice to be open about it and communicate and share. And also for the practice to offer a sort of feedback mechanism so that you know, these discussions can be had, but of course, numbers change, you know, production changes, there are, you know, unforeseen circumstances. So as long as there's that communication and feedback between the practice and the new physician, then I think that, you know, that kind of ensures an opportunity for long-term, you know, commitment and growth for both sides. Right. One other thing I, I want to touch on a little bit, and this is, this can be a little awkward sometimes, but for physicians that have been through, a, you know, maybe their fair share of practices or potentially practices that have had a number of associates come and go, how do you message that? Or what are the red flags that you look for? Say you're a physician that's going to a practice that, you know, maybe they have associates that have sort of come and gone every couple of years. Um, what are those, what are, is that a red flag potentially? What are the other red flags you might look at if you are, um, a, maybe a young physician or someone who is trying to figure out, is this, you know, am I getting myself into a situation that maybe others have gone before me and it hasn't worked out? You know, what are those red flags that you look for or you'd advise docs to look for when they're looking for a new practice? Certainly asking all the questions you can during the interview process uh, is important. Um, meeting the staff, uh, potentially, you know, and, then, and this is, you know, spending as much time as you can, not only in the region, but meeting kind of the different members of the staff and understanding if the practice culture is either, um, you know, a, a top down management or if it's more of teamwork, you know, culture and what what of those do you prefer? And kind of matching those two, certainly, you know, turnover and, and those issues, um you know, will be discussed by the practice. And that's, that's certainly a red flag. But if they're being addressed and if, you know, normally it boils down sometimes to, you know, some administrative issue and practices are good at kind of recognizing and working on those and 
to be honest, over the years, I've had ophthalmologists that understand that they're even they're you know the personality and the culture that they've created within their own practice is is you know kind of something that they they're working on and kind of putting ego to the side and and explaining that to you know potential candidates is, is a conversation that has come up. Right. So. So as long as, you know, those things are addressed, you know, physicians within, if it's a group practice, are really, you know, great recruiting tool. So if during the interview process, they're very involved um, and, and you can have kind of one-on-one conversations with other members of the practice, they'll, they'll give you great insight to what it'll be like to, you know, kind of fill similar shoes. Right. So, so that's important. You know, the other thing I'll mention, um, and this is just sort of uh, an idea, and I'll get your your feedback on this as well, but, you know, ophthalmology is really, it's almost, um, it's it's such a small world. You know, we're always probably a phone call or two removed from any market that we want to get information on. And it's not probably a bad idea to get, you know, if you do have a friend in the region or a sales rep who has a friend, you know, doing a little bit of due diligence on a practice and trying to get a little bit of perhaps an outside perspective on the things that are great about a practice or maybe the things that haven't worked or the reputation, um, maybe that would be a way to vet a practice um, because, you know, we all like to put uh, or paint the best picture of our situation. That's just human nature. Um, but sometimes it's hard to get both sides of that story until you end up moving someplace. And so, um, you know, sales reps may have a perspective, um, you know, other physicians, you know, be, be they, you know, ophthalmologists or perhaps ophthalmologists in a different sector. So maybe if you're a cataract guy, you may call the retina guys in that area to say, hey, tell me about this practice or, you know, something along those lines. Is that, do you feel like that would be a fair uh, way of going about some due diligence? Completely. And as well as, you know, developing your, your network, either whether it's during the conferences or even through social media and, you know, not only initiating those contacts, but really developing some relationships with them to access that kind of information is so important. And yes, I would encourage it. And you're right. I mean, the ophthalmology world is small and it keeps getting smaller, you know, because of these great tools that we have to connect to each other. Yeah, absolutely. Well, to that end, um, why don't you give all of our listeners a way to contact you, maybe point them to your website, or what's the best way if they find themselves in this position where they're looking for a new practice or perhaps a practice is looking for a new physician, what's the best way for them to uh, get a hold of you, Christina? Certainly, yeah, they can give me a call. The number is 866-488-6363. and my website is theophthalmicassociates.com. So it's just all one word. And I'm happy to help, even if someone isn't, you know, looking through at a specific practice through me, is just looking for some advice or, you know, help during some contract negotiations, whatever it is, you know, I'm happy to, to assist and kind of provide them benchmarks and, you know, ideas on, on what they can do to move forward, whether it's in their career or in their search. Well, Christina, once again, thank you so much for carving out a little bit of time to um, record this with us. Uh, We appreciate all your perspectives and wish you nothing but the best uh, in this new year. So thank you so much. 
thank you so much too. I enjoyed listening to your story a little bit as well and, and your insight. So I appreciate the opportunity and the conversation. Wonderful. This has been Ophthalmology Off the Grid with Dr. Gary Woods. Thank you. Ophthalmology Off the Grid is supported by Elevro from Alcon.